or not. Okay, there we go. We got it. Thank you. When you look back over your life, what do you remember most? I mean, um, for a lot of people, you look back over the great times, you look back over the successes, but many times we look back over our lives and what do we remember? The mistakes. You know, you think back, and sometimes they come to you at the most, you don't even know why, driving down the road and suddenly your mind goes back to something that you did five years ago or last week, and you just, wow, I was so stupid. Why did I do that? Now, we make lots of mistakes. For many of us, we make individual mistakes, but we also make collective mistakes. I mean, I, I thought of that this week because, of course, now the election's all done, everything's fine, but we're looking at what's called the fiscal cliff, whatever that is, you know, and we're, we've got this huge debt in our country, and we're going to be passing on. So I found this for you. Let's see if, if you can read it, because uh, it says this, teach every child the importance of forgiveness. It's our only hope of surviving their wrath once they realize how badly we've messed things up for them. Yeah, that's, that's apropos, isn't it? Uh-huh. Maybe you make so many mistakes that you, you feel like this. I don't know if you've ever been to a website called demotivators.com. Demotivators.com is, okay, you've seen it? Okay, good. Here's one of my favorites right here. Let's see this one. It's a sink. It's a ship that is now sinking into the ocean, and it's labeled mistakes. And it says, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> now, see, that's somebody who makes a lot of mistakes. You want a philosophy of life? I read, a, I read this this last week. It's amazing. Here we go. This is a philosophy of life. You're born, you die, and in between you make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> now that may sound depressing, but you know what? It's true, isn't it? Now we also do a lot of good things, but we make a lot of mistakes. Now mistakes can be a great learning tool. I mean, they, they hurt us, they, they, they cause us problems, but, but, but sometimes you make a mistake and, and it's unavoidable. I mean, on this last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was driving through a strange part of town and I got off on the wrong exit, mainly because I'd never been there before. I had no idea. And I made this huge mistake and had to get back on the freeway and you know, those things happen. Sometimes mistakes actually can be very, very productive in our lives if we let them be. For instance, let's talk a look at this top secret. Are you ready? I'm going to give you the secret, and I heard this just recently, the secret to success. Okay, are you ready? What is the secret of success? Two words. You know what they are? Here they are. Good decisions. Okay? Now, how do you learn to make good decisions? One word, and here it is. Experience. How do you get the right experience? Two words, and here they are. Bad decisions. All right. I heard this at a seminar just recently, and you know what? It's true. I learned to do really good because often I've done really bad, and I've learned from those mistakes. Now, what does that have to do with our sermon series? Well, we'll tell you in just a moment, okay? We're right now in the middle of a series called everyday heroes of the faith. We're not talking about the superheroes of the faith. We're not talking about the Peters. We're not talking about the Apostle Paul. We're not talking about Augustine and Luther or or the Billy Grahams of the world. The superheroes. We're talking about everyday heroes. We're talking about people like us who just do what they're supposed to do. And God builds on that and uses it and builds his kingdom. And it's built on this passage right here. It's from 1 Corinthians. When Paul writes to the church and he says, brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. When he said that, who's he talking about the foolish things? Us. I'm sorry, guys, but that's it. We're just pertinent idiots, and that's the way it is. 
And God takes us and he uses us and he fills us and he forgives us and he pardons us and he uses us to build his kingdom and he does incredible things. The weak things of the world in us to shame the strong. That's why God gets the glory for what happens in the church. It's not because we're brilliant, we're talented, it's because God is God and to him be the glory. So here's the, the, here's the people we've looked at so far. We looked at the little boy with the, with the loaves and the fishes, and we don't even know his name. He didn't give everything. It never says he gave everything, but he gave a little. He was willing to almost look like a fool and say, look, there's 15,000 people here, but I tell you what, here's a few loaves and fishes. I don't know what you can do with it, but it's yours. Okay, that's an everyday hero. Then we looked at Andrew. Remember what Andrew did? When Andrew first met Jesus, the first thing he did, according to Scripture, what's the first thing he did when he met Jesus? He went to get his brethren to tell him and introduce him. The first thing that he did. Well, we can all be Andrew. Did you have an opportunity this week to invite or, or to share or to tell somebody? We probably had lots of opportunities. The only question is, did we do it? Hopefully, at least once. And then last week, we looked at Stephen. Stephen, who was just a layman in the church. He gave his life for the faith, but he didn't intend to. When he started his sermon, he had no idea he was going to die. He just thought he was going to preach. It wasn't until the very, very end that he realized, whoops, this is it. But he stayed true. He told them the truth. He stood up against the lies. He took a personal stand. So here's what we've learned so far. Now we're into your sermon notes right there. Take those out if you want to. Here's what we know about everyday heroes. First of all is this. We, they know that Jesus won't do anything with nothing. Remember that? Jesus won't. Now he can do anything. He can speak and everything can happen. It's just that he won't do it. There's a partnership, a synergy, if you like that particular word. It just means that God works through us and with us. He takes the little bit that we give and he uses it. Jesus won't do anything with nothing. Everyday heroes learn to give. A little bit at a time, but they give. And they don't focus on doing great things for Jesus. They trust Jesus to do great things with the little that they faithfully give. If you wake up every day saying, today I want to do great things for Jesus. Well, you know what? Maybe, probably not. How about this? What if you wake up every day saying, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to my Lord today. I'm going to do a little bit for Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do that today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And 10 years from now, you'll find me doing exactly the same thing. And then you trust that Jesus Christ will take all that you faithfully give, your time, your talent, your treasures, and he builds a kingdom out of it. Amazing. And last week it was this. Everyday heroes take a personal stand for Jesus against the lies of the world. What personal stand are you making? Now, I don't mean... Remember, the thing about a personal stand is it's going to cost you personally. We can all take a stand and we maybe look to Scripture and say, you know, we'll take a stand against gay marriage. Well, that's a wonderful stand. What did it cost you? It's real easy to do that. It doesn't cost us a thing. We just take a stand. I'm talking about a personal stand. That's what Stephen did. He took a personal stand. Where do you take a stand against the lies of this world? Where do you take a stand in your finances or in your entertainment or in your relationships? You say, look, I'm a Christ follower. And even if this costs me, if it costs me my relationship, it costs me my job, it costs me, I'm a Christ follower. And I take a stand against that lie. Everyday heroes do that. Today we continue looking at a failure. A failure who learned to succeed by not giving up. And we call him John Mark. 
Now, maybe you don't know his name is John Mark. Some of you, when you read scripture, he's only be called John. Sometimes he's only called Mark. But actually, his name is John Mark. Very, very common back in those days to have two completely different names, maybe a Jewish name and a Greek name or whatever it is. In two weeks, we're going to look at a guy who is known by his nickname. But today, it's John Mark. Now, here's where we meet him the first time. Okay, He's a young guy. We meet him the first time when Peter's miraculously um, released from prison. Peter's thrown into prison. That night, suddenly the angels show up and release him, and he finds himself outside, and he doesn't even hardly believe that he made it out there. And the first thing that he does is he runs over to a house, and he says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now, I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this, when he, this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. You know who was probably also in that house? Probably Saul and Barnabas, because they were in Jerusalem at the same time. They'd actually come to Jerusalem with an offering of food and money because there was this huge famine that was going on. And so they brought an offering to the saints in Jerusalem at this very time that Peter was thrown into prison. So probably in that same house, we've got Saul or Paul, and we've got Barnabas, and we've got, and here's this young guy named John Mark. Now that's all we know. It's just the first time we ever meet him. Then Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, he's going to be called Paul in just a little while, they leave Jerusalem after giving their gift, and they go on a missionary to go out to tell the people, and this is what we read, and this is the next time we read about John. When Barnabas and Saul had fulfilled their mission, in other words, when they'd given the food, they returned from Jerusalem, because that's where they'd gone, taking with them John, also called Mark. Okay. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem. They're probably in that house praying for Peter. Peter's released. When they leave Jerusalem and they go off on their first mission, they take this young guy. We don't know. Probably a teenager, probably. Young guy, John Mark. And they say, you know what? Come with us. Young man, early 20s at the most. They began to preach in various towns. This is when we read. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed there from Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. John Mark. There he is. So this guy, he's, I don't know what he's doing. It never really says what he does. It's just he's their helper. But the next time we see John is just a few verses later. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Okay, why did he leave? His enlistment was up. You know, um, he only promised to go for a few months. No. Uh huh. He chickened out. You know how we know that? Next time we read about him is in Acts chapter 15. Barnabas and, and Paul now want to go back to all the churches that they visited. And we pick this up. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called, called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had, what's the word? Deserted them. In Pamphylia. And had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that the friendship of Saul and Paul, the partnership of Saul or Paul and Barnabas, split. 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and left, committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. By the way, that's the last time we ever hear of Barnabas. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. John Mark didn't just leave them and go home. He deserted them. He chickened out. He couldn't take it. Now, before you get on his case, all right, let's remember that to be a traveling preacher back then was not an easy thing. It's not like they stayed in five-star hotels, all right? They didn't get paid. They were met with opposition wherever they went. It's not like they were received warmly. Often they had to run for their lives. Often they were stoned and beaten. They went through shipwrecks and everything else. I mean, this was not an easy life. Barnabas and Paul said, I'll do it. John Mark said, yes, I will. And then he said, I can't handle this one. And he went home. And if that was the end of the story, it would just be a really good life lesson that some people just can't hack it. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because I'm, I'm trying to remember here in Scripture, I believe I've read something about John Mark before. As a matter of fact, I think he wrote something that turned out to be rather significant. How'd that happen? Well, remember, he, he decided to try it again with Barnabas. And the next time we read about him, we're actually reading it from the pen of Paul. Paul, who didn't even want anything to do with Mark because he deserted them. He's now in prison for the last time he's about to be executed. This is 2 Timothy, and he's writing a letter to Timothy. And it's got some great theology, but it's also some very personal statement because he knows he's about to die. And this is what he says to Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, had deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, you can read about Demas. If you do a little, little search, you'll find out that Demas was also one that everybody said, ah, oh, Demas is great. Then it, suddenly we read about Demas, and he also gave up. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Galatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. What? This is the same guy who didn't want anything to do with Mark. This is the same guy who said, look, if you're going to go with Mark, go on your own, Barnabas. I want nothing more. I'm going my own way. After a while, Paul says, look, Bring him to me, because he is helpful in my ministry. And the last time we read about John Mark, from the pen of Peter, Peter is writing to the churches. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, which is Rome, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, as so, as, and so does my son, Mark. <laughs> from a deserter, from a failure, from a guy who couldn't hack it, to someone who was useful to Paul, to someone who was so important that the Apostle Peter 
calls him son. (laughs) And what did Mark eventually do? No, he was the very first one to write down the story of Jesus Christ. The gospel according to St. Mark. He did it first with the help of Peter. From someone who was a deserter to a writer of the gospel. How divine. You know what, guys? Let me tell you what this tells us about everyday heroes of the faith. Ready? Here it is. Everyday heroes of the faith will give in, but they won't give up. Did you make some mistakes this week? Did you give in? Yeah, you did, didn't you? Don't give up. Don't give up. This week we'll do better. We will receive the blessing of the Lord. We'll see the pardon of the Lord. We'll see the forgiveness of the Lord. And this week, we will do better. All of us are going to mess up on a fairly regular basis because this is what is true. Ready? Write this down. We all stumble in many ways. Okay, now write that down. This is significant. Circle it, circle it, circle it. We all stumble in many ways. And do you know how I know this is true? Because this is what the Bible says right here. We all stumble in many ways. I didn't write that. Isn't that amazing that the Word of God talks like that? James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes a letter and says, guess what, you're going to mess up on a regular basis. You are. And if you don't think you're going to, and if you don't think you have, well, you've already messed up. Because this is what the Bible says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Cut yourself some slack, people. And cut the people around you a little slack. We all stumble in many ways. All of us. We make mistakes. We don't rely on the Spirit the way that we should. We say things that, that, that we, we want to take back, but you know you can never take back. You see, it's not about being perfect. It's about getting better. Now, this is different than what I used to preach when I first went into ministry. 35 years ago, 40, we were absolutely, oh, I don't know, fascinated and focused on the idea of sinless perfection, particularly within what we call the holiness churches, Nazarene and Free Methodist. And I remember actually listening to testimonies from the dear old saints when I first came into the church, early 1970s and that sort of thing, and they would stand up and say, I haven't sinned in 30 years. And instead of people laughing like that, they would go, because they believed it. We believed in perfection, that, that if you just asked Jesus Christ into your heart and then asked him to cleanse your heart, you were restored back to what we called the Adamic perfection or the perfection of Adam and Eve. The original sin principle was removed from your heart, and from that point on, you no longer sin, you just grow in grace. You know why we, we stopped preaching that? Because it's not true! I mean, it's just not true! So we finally went, wait a minute, why are we preaching things that are True! What's true is when, uh, to the degree that we walk with the Spirit, to the degree that you listen to your Father, to the degree that you are filled with and you walk according to the Spirit, yes, you will not sin. It's that simple. Scripture tells us that. But we don't 
follow him fully, do we? We're still learning to do that. And as we make mistakes, we sin, we fall down. It's not about being, it's about getting, and by the way, when I say getting better, I don't mean about getting better than other people, okay? This isn't about getting better than all those people out there who don't go to church. This is about getting better than we were. This is about getting better than we are. This is what Scripture says. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love little by little, day by day, getting better, messing up, learning, moving forward, doing better next week than we did last week, learning to rely on the Spirit a little bit more today than I did yesterday, step by step. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul says, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, day by day by day. You make mistakes, you learn, you get up, you try better, you do better next week. You seek pardon and forgiveness, you move on, you learn, you get better day by day by day as the Spirit teaches you what it means to be a Christ follower. Day by day by day. You make mistakes. You dust yourself off. You get up. You try again. See, the only people who don't get any better are the people who what? They give up. They just stop. They just say, I, I, this doesn't work. I, it doesn't work for me. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to the life I used to live. And you guess what? There's no hope for them. There's no hope there because they, they gave up. The point is, don't give up. Okay, so you had a bad week. Do better next week. Seek God's fruit. Do better. As a matter of fact, to finish this whole thing off, let's talk about this. Let's talk about using bad decisions to make good decisions. I think it was uh, Rick Warren, wasn't it, who said that, that God never wastes a hurt. I love that. It just means, okay, you messed up, you made a mistake, you sinned, you didn't trust the Father, you just blew it. Okay, now what are you going to do with that? You have to learn to do better and to take it. So here it is. Let's start with the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is key right here. You cannot do it on yourself. This is not self-help. We're not talking about go out there and read a book about, you know, self-hypnosis, and this is the way you're going to... This is only going to happen with the help of the Holy Spirit. Next year, I think we just need to, to spend some time preaching and studying about the life of the Holy Spirit and what He does within our lives, because He doesn't really call attention to Himself. We don't really do that. That's not His purpose and job, and yet, without Him, we can't do what we're talking about. So I think maybe next year, we have to spend a little time talking about the Holy Spirit and what He does within us, so that you can understand when we say, with the help of the Holy Spirit... 
Now, not just with your pastor or with, or with good advice or a book you're going to read. You're going to get better. You're going to learn to deal with your mistakes as the Holy Spirit reveals those mistakes to you, shows you what you should have done, and helps you do it. With the help of the Holy Spirit, here's how we're going to take bad decisions and turn them into good decisions. First of all is this. Accept them. I would love for you to remember one verse for the rest of this week, and it's simply this. We all stumble in many ways. Isn't that funny that, that our Father would have that written to us? <laughs> Does He know us or what? We all stumble. Okay, you know what? You did mess up. You did. I know we don't like to face up to that. But you did. You know, when I really look at the mistakes I make, and some of the stupid mistakes, you know what it makes me feel like? It makes me feel like a little kid, and I hate that. I, I was sure that when I was a little kid, it was going to be great to be an adult because I just wouldn't make those dumb mistakes. I'm 58. And there are times that I will do something or say something, and, I, and I'm eight years old again. What an idiot. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? I thought you were going to be better than that. You have to admit them, accept them, and go, you know what? I do. I, I just really, really messed up. And then the next thing you do is confess them. It's one thing to admit them to ourselves. It's another thing to confess them. Sometimes you go right to your father and say, Father, I did it again. I did it again. Please forgive me. Sometimes, which may even be harder, you have to go to another person. I did it again. I am so sorry. I did it again. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. And we know what God's going to do. He's going to forgive us. We're not certain about the other person. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to learn from them. Okay, so, so I know that I blew it, and Father, I'm going to confess it to you, and I'm going to, yes, I blew it. I need to learn. What am I going to learn from these things? Well, I may learn situations to stay away from. I may learn that maybe I'm not as strong to handle this situation as I thought I was. I thought I could hang out with this person and maintain this relationship, and everything would be great. I can't. When I'm back in that relationship, when I'm back in that friendship, when I talk to that person, I take on their characteristics. I don't influence them for God. It's the other way around. I need to stay away from that. I thought I could see this. I thought I could be there. I can't. I, I can't. I, I'm not strong enough to do that. You learn from them. You learn what to avoid. You will learn what you should. You go back and say, what could I have done? What should have happened? You'd be surprised, by the way. The answer for many times when you say what I should have done was wait. Take a little time. Before you speak, if you'd waited 10 seconds, you wouldn't have made that mistake. 
if you waited a, a couple of minutes before contacting that friend or whatever, you wouldn't have done it and you wouldn't have. Take your time. Wait. Whatever it is, you've got to go back and say, Father, through the Holy Spirit, teach me what did I do wrong? What was the trigger? What should I avoid? What do I do differently? And the next thing to do is you remember them. I, I know that there's that theory out there that says, you know, put your past behind you and all that other stuff. And, and <laughs> Guys, the past is one of your best teaching tools for the future. Don't take the shame with you. Are you forgiven in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, then there's no shame involved any longer. Don't fall into that, what we call the, the, the deadly equation. Remember what the deadly equation is? I've told you many times, but of course, you know. The deadly equation is, I did, therefore I am. That's the deadly equation. Because I did something, now that defines who I am. No, it doesn't. I am a Christ follower. That's what defines me. I'm a child of the living God. That's what defines me. That's who I am. The fact that I make a mistake or the fact that I sin and the fact that I didn't follow the, doesn't mean that's who I am. I am a child of the living God who stumbles in many ways. The deadly equation is, I did, therefore I am. I, I told a lie, therefore I am a rotten liar. No, you're a child of the God who made a mistake and you lied. Yeah, you got to face it, seek forgiveness, move on. Remember what you did, not the shame. The guilt doesn't come with you. That's forgiven. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't make him die for it twice, okay? It's done. It's over. But I don't want to forget my mistakes. I want to remember them. Next time I'm in that situation, I want to remember, I've been here before. Oh, yeah. You know, the next time I drive down the freeway and I'm trying to find that spot that I got lost in a couple of weeks ago, you know what? I won't make that mistake again. I'll get to that same point and go, oh, yeah, I remember. You get off here, not there. You know the only reason I remember that? Because I remember my mistake. The mistakes aren't there to beat you up and make you feel bad. You're a child of the living God. You should be going, yeah, sir. But don't forget your mistakes. Remember them. Learn from them. And then you apply them. I'm going to apply them. Okay, Father, I remember. I, I admit I did it. I confess that I've done it. I'm going to learn from that. I'm going, to, I'm going to plan out my course of action next time. I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind, and then I'm going to do it. That's the application part. It's one thing to learn, plot it out, get back in that same situation, and make the same mistake. Now I'm going to apply them. I'm going to learn. I'm going to do it a little differently next time. I'm going to get better. But you see, here's where it really comes down to is this. And this was the thing about John Mark. No matter what happens, never give up. Okay, so some people are, are, are on this road and they're farther, or sometimes they're on this road and they're faster. They're kind of passing you up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't ever stop walking with Jesus Christ. You failed, you make a mistake, you fall down, you don't stay down. You stand up. You move on. So you've tried to overcome your foul mouth a hundred times. We'll do it a hundred and one times. You've tried to keep your temper a thousand times. We'll do it a thousand and one times. 
Never give up. Never, never, never. You don't quit on church just because things aren't going as quickly as you want. You don't quit on your small group just because things are going hard and and you just want to give up. You keep walking with Jesus. Even if you fall 10,000 times, you keep walking with the Savior. You get up and you move forward and you know that with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will get better time after time after time if you don't give up. Do you know there's an entire book in the New Testament written to a group of people who are getting ready to give up? The whole, that's the whole purpose of the book. Every New Testament book, there's a purpose why it was written, okay? There's one book that was written to a group of people who said, you know, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to give up. And the writer writes to them. You remember the name of the book? It's called the book of Hebrews. Very good. I'm so proud of you. That's what the book's about. The writer's writing to a group of people who said, this is too hard. I'm giving up. And his whole book is saying, don't do that. And after he's written about 10 chapters or 11 chapters, chapter 12, he gets to this point and he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such, in other words, he's been talking about all the people who went through hard times, about all the people who failed, about all the people who stood up, moved on down the road, all those people in the past who have been able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished because they give themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, not once, but every single day, everyday heroes. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race set before us. Basically, what he's saying is, look, you know, these guys are just normal people back there that I've been telling you about, and they did it. So can you. There's a secret here. Don't give up. Don't give up. If you give up running the race, guess what? You lose. Don't give up. You'll make it. Okay, you may be the last in line. It may take you a longer time. Do you realize every single person in this room right here could run a marathon today? We could. Well, of course we could. Just don't stop running. Now, it would take some of us several hours to finish. It would take some of us several weeks. (laughs) But if we didn't give up, guess what would happen? We would cross the finish line, wouldn't we? Every single one of us. Every single one. So don't tell me you can't run a marathon. You can't run a marathon in four hours. Sure you can. But you can run a marathon. As long as you just don't give up. Of course you win. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, what do you do on this race? You're falling down, you get up, and where do you look? Where did Stephen look last week when we were looking at him, when he knew that his life was about to die? When he, he looked up. The writer of the Hebrews says, okay, you've fallen down, you're in this race, guess where you look? Uh, just don't give up, guys. You make it. The writer of the Hebrews also says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your hard work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We don't want you to become... Lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who faith and patience inherit what is. Don't give up. 
We all stumble in many ways, people. We're all on that road and that journey. We're all trying to become better, not better than other people, but better than we were and better than we are. The Holy Spirit works in your life and my life. There are times we listen to him and everything goes well. There are times we don't and we stumble and we fall. Now the choice is, are you going to stay down there? Or are you going to get up? Keep walking. And next week can be better than this one. And a year from now, better than today. Each of us learning. We all stumble in many ways. Just don't give up. Father, one of the things that has broken my heart over the years that I've been doing this, it's not the people who stumble. It's the people I've seen who give up. Those who started so well. And then give up. Now, the story isn't finished for most of them, Father. And, and like John Mark, they can come back and they, they can start the journey again. But, Father, if they don't do that, they're, Father, not going anywhere. Now, you've promised us that there will be many people who will start the journey and give up. You saw that coming. There's parables that you told us to remind us of that. So we're, we're not shocked. But... Father, it does break our hearts because we want those people to come with us. But Father, while we can't do anything right now about those individuals, we can go be an Andrew and invite them, but today, for us, in this room right here, Father, there may be some people who are thinking of giving up. It isn't worth it to follow you. It's too hard. It takes too long. The changes aren't happening quickly enough. The old life still intercedes way too much. Father, I think most of us have been there at, at some point or another. Father, I pray that right now your spirit would speak to their hearts and remind them, don't give up. Never give up. You will work in us, Father. Even if we try to, to push you out, even if, if we, we get in the way, as long as we walk with you, Father, we can't help but be changed. You will work around us and through us unless we just give up. But we're not going to do that. We're going to continue to walk with you. And yes, Father, there'll be times we'll fight you. <laughs> but Father, if we're fighting you, one thing is going to be sure, you're going to win. We don't ever win those battles. It's a whole lot better than the people who stopped fighting long ago. And they just gave up. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, we thank you for your patience in us. And hear our commitment to you now, Lord. We're not going to give up. We're walking with you through the rest of our lives and into eternity. And all the people said, Amen.